0: Hey guys. hey guys and welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by me, Umberto Mello, and me, Jonas grancia Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about Crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happens, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate? Her name is Sh- Sh- Sharma Melngling. Magma. Magmar? Magmar meningitis.
1: Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick?
0: Oh! What is this? <laughs> Are those your enemies? <laughs> Are they after me too?
1: <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh <laughs> And then he masturbated <laughs> on the carpet.
0: <laughs> Dangerous question I mean, Yeah. No, it was, yeah why? <laughs> we did not agree with this. <laughs> Carl said that. Don't copy compri- oh, what? <laughs> don't copyright us. Don't copyright us. Yes, please don't block us.
1: So grab your glass, cause the spilling is about to begin.
0: Woo <laughs> Welcome back to episode 21. My- I'm Beth and I'm Bailey and we're True Crime B&B we're glad to have you back this week crime family and I don't have anything to add before this episode starts so do you want to just jump on in this week yes okay so I'm going to go first and I brought to you a story again I say it every freaking week You may know this story because it was local to us back when we lived in Ohio. Okay. But let me start with Jessica Lynn Keene was born September 24th, 1975 in Columbus, Ohio. All right. She was an honors student. She got straight A's and was super popular. She was a cheerleader at Westland High School. Oh, okay. She was a really talented musician. She loved to sing and was known for composing her own music on the piano. So That's that, pretty good. Just all around relatable to us.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, because we do that all the time. Well, Does that count when we just make up stories in the kitchen while we're washing dishes?
0: Well, we made Not course. stories, songs. We do both, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she also had goals to become either a zoologist or a veterinarian and study at The Ohio State University. Okay. So, really likable woman, I would say. Alright. But at the age of 15, she began dating an older boy named Sean Thompson, who was 18 years old at the time and was a high school dropout. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh boy, okay. (laughs) So after she began dating him, her grades started to drop, and she quit the cheerleading team, but she didn't tell her parents that she had. So they found out later when she got a report card back. And they had all of these absences that were unexplained, and she had been skipping school and stuff.
1: She's like a cross between Jennifer Pan and Melissa Dome.
0: Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But it just, it wasn't like her. So they pulled her aside, and she explained that she'd been dating this older man, and they put a stop to it, obviously. They said, Mm -hmm. he's too old for you, you don't know what you're doing yet.
1: And obviously, he's not good for you.
0: Yeah, clearly. You can tell. But she refused, and she kept skipping school. She kept doing all the bad stuff behind their back. And eventually, on March 4th, 1991, she's still 15 at this point, her parents decided that... This was going too far, and they were just desperate to get through to her. And they'd been fighting a lot, on and off, for the entire couple weeks after they told her, you need to stop seeing him, and she just wasn't getting it through. Okay. So, what they decided to do was they found a teen counseling center called Huckleberry House. I've heard of that. In West Jefferson, Ohio. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, the counseling center that they were sending her to offered family and individual counseling sessions so that it wouldn't turn into a screaming match every time. They could just hear each other out, and then... Get some space away from each other. So even Jessica herself was relieved to go to this. She agreed. She wanted to go and just get away from her parents. Otherwise, she was going to run away or something. And she had somebody neutral to talk to about it. Yeah, a third party that wasn't involved. It seemed to be going really well. The stay was only going to be a two-week stay. Okay. At least the free portion. They went with the free portion because they weren't made of money, but... So two
1: weeks is pretty significant. Two
0: weeks to reflect and see, okay, clearly this guy might not be good for me after all. Yeah. So she left for that March 4th, 1991. Uh, March 15th, 1991, Jessica called her boyfriend, Sean, on the phone at the group center. And she got into a really heated argument with him. They ended up getting in such a big fight that they broke up on the phone that time. Everybody around her, she'd made some friends at the center, and they all said she was really upset. She just wanted to go out, take a walk, and clear her head after this. So she ended up telling one of them that she was going to go to the local mall, and she was going to take the COTA bus. So she walked down, and they watched her walk. It was right across the street from this place where the first COTA bus stop was. So she went and waited there, and that's the last time she was seen that day at 6 p.m.
1: For those not from Columbus, Dakota is Central Ohio Transit Authority.
0: Yeah, so just a normal city bus, basically. She never returned back to the center that night, and they reported her missing. They had no traces of her. They looked into her boyfriend. He was actually on a trip with a bunch of friends to Florida at the time, so he had an alibi. He didn't have her. Was there, wait, so did she make it to the mall, or did she get on the bus and never be seen again? The last time she was seen was sitting at the bus stop. So they don't know. Waiting for the bus. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So nobody ever saw her board. The I was bus. so concerned about defining Coda that I didn't listen to <laughs> <No>, it. But <okay. laughs> it was just a Coda bus stop. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So two days later, after the search for her started on March 17th, a call came in from a cemetery called Foster Chapel Cemetery in Madison County, which was 20 miles away from the group home where she was living. Mm hmm. They had found the body of Jessica Keene, nude except for a bra and a sock, duct-taped, wrapped around her head and her mouth, and her hands were duct-taped together. She had been raped and then beaten to death with a 70-pound tombstone so hard that it had broken in half. So obviously this was a really brutal attack. They began investigating the scene and found that they could at least partially put together her steps through the cemetery that night. Okay, so they think that she got there herself. All they know is that there were footprints that led from the main road that the cemetery was on and went all throughout the cemetery. Like they could follow her path into muddy? the cemetery.
1: It was, it was. I mean, it was March. So it would probably wasn't. It might have been snow, but not very likely. I
0: have one picture from the scene, just so you can understand. They had a lot of freshly dug graves at the time. So it was mud like this.
1: Okay. So it was... So there was loose soil and that's how they saw her footprints.
0: And they could see her footprints throughout. They didn't necessarily know exactly what order, but they knew that those were her feet that matched. That's a
1: lot of freshly dug graves.
0: Well... Holy cow. The reason they could follow her where she was going because not only they had footprints at the beginning of the cemetery leading from the road so that i know at some point she had been on that road and had been running through the cemetery it seems to get away from whoever was chasing her so someone picked her up that's what they were guessing either she okay somebody tried to pick her up and then chased her into the cemetery or maybe she got out of the car and ran or something like that but she they had already gotten enough of her that she was duct taped so obviously she'd been snatched at some point by somebody they also found mark's behind various tombstones where she had rested her knee, so it seemed like she was hiding behind the larger tombstones oh. from whoever was chasing her. Oh, God, that's
1: heartbreaking. So basically, you can just see everywhere she went. Yeah, you can. And just, everything she tried to do to save herself.
0: It's like, yeah, you can really see the entire struggle in the dirt marks oh my here. God. Behind one of the tombstones where her knee print was, they also found her missing sock. Because I told you she'd been found in nothing but her bra and then a sock. The other one she had lost while running and hiding behind that tombstone. And then they found pieces of duct tape throughout the cemetery that she had been trying to rip off of her mouth and her hands along the way. But when she was found, she was also wearing her ring. I think it was her school ring or something like that that was identifiable because her mm-hmm. wounds, I don't want to be graphic, but were in the head and she was not recognizable, and that's how oh, they identified God. her. Oh. I know, it's so so heartbreaking.
1: Oh, my God. This is terrible. Yeah. I don't
0: remember this story. I didn't either, and I heard it on a podcast that was recorded a couple years ago, but I just heard it recently, and I was that's... like, I can't believe. 1991. Mm-hmm. So you were living there at that time. So I was in school. You were literally on campus where she lived nearby. That's why it's like...
1: But I mean, I was in school. I was I was at studio until... And they didn't
0: have the internet widely available to everybody. Yeah, world.
1: I mean, I just... All I did was build models mm-hmm. and work on studio stuff. Yeah. So, anyway.
0: But even if you had heard of it, this is one of those that goes cold for a while. So you probably wouldn't... So they found her school ring and her watch still on her person, but her necklace that her boyfriend Sean had given her was mysteriously missing. And that necklace had an engraving in it that said taken, which is so creepy now. Obviously he meant like, I'm taken, this is my girlfriend. But yeah. now that she's gone and the message taken is taken off of her is kind of yeah. morbid. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, it's kind of like those t-shirts that insecure guys buy for their wives mm-hmm. it's like i have a great big hunky husband and yeah he's got anger issues and he's got a big rifle you know yeah come on
0: so like i told you before police suspected sean her boyfriend at first but his alibi did check out as he had been on a trip to florida and they have different security footage and stuff like that around the time that she had gone missing so they knew that he wasn't the person. But they didn't necessarily know if he had hired somebody. After all, they had just gotten in a huge heated fight that night that she went missing. hmm So... That would have been hard timing. Well, if he... I don't know. Maybe she said something to him on the phone. Okay, I'm mad at you. I'm going to go to the mall. Or something like that. And then told somebody where she could be found. I don't know. But it just wasn't a good look. <laughs>
1: right. Well, of course. I mean... To break up that day and then have her disappear and then her necklace that says taken. That you gave her. It's gone. Of course. And who would with know to take that? With all the brutality, that? it would be very easy for that to have gotten broken and lost and just maybe never True. found.
0: And if she's running from them, who knows if they had grabbed at her, only gotten a hold of the necklace and it ripped off and they still had it or something. They just didn't want to throw it for evidence or something. But yeah. So they eventually collected DNA from not only Sean, but all of his friends in close members that lived in the area, too. They were very diligent to make sure none of your buddies came through and did this while you were gone and none of it came back as a match. Okay. Because they had, like I said, she had been sexually assaulted, so they had the sperm on file. Okay. The case went cold for the next 17 years. <sighs> So in two thousand and eight, lab technicians decided to use new technology that had recently come out and submit the DNA found at the scene again to CODIS. And seventeen years to the day that she was murdered, they got a match. Holy crap. And
1: that Well it was also it was also seventeen more years of people being arrested.
0: We'll wait until you hear who it is and
1: Oh Jesus shit
0: Christ. he got by with. Uh. So 17 years to the day that she was murdered, they got a match to a convicted felon by the name of Marvin Lee Smith Jr. At the time of Jessica's disappearance and murder, Marvin Smith was 34, and he was out on bond after the rape, kidnapping, and assault of two other women in Columbus in the Short North. Ugh. So he'd been arrested for- oh, the Short for North it. rapist. Mm. Is that that guy? I don't think that's him. I don't think it is. College campus area, so there's probably a lot of rapists in that area. Yeah, but this was... So, like I said, he had already been arrested for the two other rapes and kidnappings. He had attempted to murder them, but they had gotten away, both the other girls. Good for them. And so he was arrested for it. They identified him and everything, and I think they connected him with DNA to those two. But while he was out on bond, this was the exact time period where Jessica had been murdered. And then he was finally taken back into custody after he was convicted of the two assaults in August of 1991 so they finally took him back in after he was convicted five months after Jessica's murder. Okay, so at the time he wasn't in the database yet because he, he wasn't hasn't been a, convicted? Yeah, he wasn't a convicted felon until five months after her murder. Okay. Smith ended up serving nine years in prison for those other two attacks until he was paroled in 2000. In 1996, a law was passed in Ohio that any convicted felons were required to submit a DNA sample but the rollout took some time and it took many years even after he was released in 2000 for them to come to him and make him give his sample over mm-hmm. and so that at that point in 2008 when they decided to run it again for Jessica's case they finally had him in codis and could connect him to it but now that they had a match the police had the task of hunting him down because he no longer lived in ohio at this point 2008 oh, okay. So, they eventually located him living in Burlington, North Carolina, and they had him arrested for unlawful sexual contact with a minor, just, I think, to hold him till the investigators could get out there and then get him right. taken back to Ohio. Right. And at this point, they didn't really have any proof. They had no DNA of him on the actual murder weapon or anything like that. They just knew that his sperm right. was found inside of her. Yeah. So, so, either way, you at least raped a minor. Yeah. At first, he denied ever having met Jessica, of course, but after being confronted with the DNA evidence found on her body, he admitted to having sex with her, and that's it. Consensual, of course, right? Consensual. We just, she saw me, a 34-year-old, and said, oh, I need him. Yeah. This is a rough story. I know. So finally, many hours of interrogations later, they finally got a confession from him, and they immediately went for the death penalty until Smith decided that it seemed like he was going to get the death penalty if they were to go with a jury and like he pled not guilty to it. So he decided to plead guilty instead in order to avoid a jury trial and went again for the three panel judge trial basically. Mm. That didn't work well. Who was that same Shepard? I think I can't remember. It just it recently Sam happened. Mm-hmm.
1: Or, or Dale Johnston.
0: It might have been Dale Johnston. Yeah. But either way, it didn't go that well for him either. (laughs) So he admitted to having kidnapped Jessica from the bus stop that day. And he had kept her for several hours, like six or something hours, in his car. Mm. And then as she had already raped her at some point during that while she was in the car... However, when he slowed down, I think there was a stop sign at the end of the cemetery. As he started to slow down for the stop sign, she had found a way to kick open the door and run into it. And he started chasing after her. So she had run and hid behind the gravestones, as they'd already figured out. But at some point, she saw the lights of a farmhouse to the back of the cemetery. And I think it's the farmhouse that owns the cemetery. Basically how it goes is if there's the main road, you run it through the cemetery, it's pretty deep back, but then there's a little fence, some brush, and then there's the farmhouse right, on okay. the other side of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So she saw the lights on and there were no lights in the cemetery, so all she could see was this light and thinking, okay, that's help. Somebody there can help me. So she starts running towards that, and because it was pitch black out, there was the fence and she didn't see it, oh. so she tripped over. Oh, no. The fence post and could not get herself back up because her wrists were, were bound behind her. Yeah.
1: Oh, I thought they were in front of her. So
0: she couldn't even defend herself at this
1: point. She's just on the ground. And probably injured herself even just falling. Mm.
0: Yes. So unable to get back up with Marvin Smith, he then struggled with her, raped her again, and then admitted to pulling out the tombstone and beating her with it. What
1: kind of a fucking monster can do this?
0: Some girl just
1: sitting at the damn bus stop and you're putting her through this kind of horrible... And the
0: fact that you can just move states and be like, oh, got away with it. I can sleep fine at night. A monster. Well, he obviously
1: <laughs> can sleep fine at night because he did it two times before. And the only reason that he wasn't already in
0: prison was because he he failed to kill them. I know. It's just crazy that those laws weren't in place to get their DNA before 1996. Yeah. That's infuriating. (laughs) So February 27th, 2009, Marvin Lee Smith Jr. pled guilty to first-degree murder and received life in prison with at least 30 years before he was eligible for parole. And at that point when he was put into prison, he was 51 in 2009. So he won't be eligible for parole until 2038, And he is serving in Lebanon Correctional Institution. In Foster Chapel Cemetery, they have since put up a memorial for Jessica in the exact spot where she was found by the fence. Wow. It is a cross that reads, Jessica Lynn Keene, killed here March 17th, 1991. Aww. It's just that's the wrong person came across her on the wrong day, and that's just that's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah, what is story. And I feel bad because I feel like I've been going kind of light after all the shitty news lately, and now I'm just bringing out this horrible story out of nowhere. But it's like um, this is a murder podcast. So I'm sorry. But.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was that was rough.
0: I hope your story is at
1: least you know. Well, mine involves some pretty brutal stuff too, but okay. it does at least have an upward ending. All right. When Donna Onsiaco was 40 years old, she was living with her daughter Kirsten on a flower farm in Colts Neck, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. It was 2013, and they had a wonderful life. The two women had each other, the flower farm and old farmhouse, and they were happy. Mm -hmm. Life was great. They were finishing up a fun Fourth of July weekend with their family and their friends, The weather had been very hot. It it was an East Coast heat wave, and on the evening of July 6th, all the windows were open because the old house didn't have central air conditioning. Donna had let her cat out for the night. She was winding down from the festivities. She was both exhausted and sleepy, and so she climbed into bed. Shortly after midnight on July 7th, Donna thought she heard her cat scratching at the screen door and went to let him into the house. She went down the stairs without turning on any lights, opened the door where she thought the cat was waiting to be let in. Just as she pulled the door open, she realized a young man was standing on the front porch. She was still groggy, but immediately tried to shut the door, but the stranger charged the door and began slashing at her with a knife. As soon as she saw the guy, she immediately felt fear in the pit of her stomach. What is this guy doing here? And then she wondered, why isn't he running away? If he was planning to break into my house when I opened the door, you would think he'd go like, ah, shoot! Somebody saw me, yeah. But he didn't. He charged her. He started staring straight at her. She wondered to herself, why isn't he just taking something and leaving? Mm -hmm. But he didn't. He slashed her face. He slashed her right cheek. And then she began to feel horrified. She's like, everything's moving in slow motion. Mm-hmm. Then he slashed the left side of her neck three times. He stabbed the knife into her chest and then pulled it back out again. She tried to keep pressure on her wounds to keep from losing as much blood as she could keep in her body. She tried to back away from him, trying to get herself towards a wall so she could brace herself against the wall and keep from falling down. Felt like she would be more vulnerable if she fell, so she was trying to stay vertical. Sure. He walked towards her, holding the knife up menacingly. As he brought it close to her, she attempted to keep him from stabbing her again, By grabbing the blade but of course this only resulted in her her cutting her hand open
0: yeah
1: so now she's bleeding from her cheek her neck and her hand she made it to the doorway of her bathroom as her legs gave out I guess she was trying to get towels or something to staunch the bleeding yeah and he just watched as she struggled to maintain her upright but she fell over sideways and he just kept watching her It was like A zombie just staring at her as she's struggling to
0: creep
1: yeah and again he could have just left if he just left her there it's a good chance she's just gonna bleed out so just leave you know grab what you want and go but he didn't And what year did you say this was this was 2013 okay
0: so i guess maybe he didn't want her to get to a phone
1: or something well she had come from upstairs so her phone was upstairs again he could
0: have just left but he didn't
1: he came close to her again While she was on the floor and she was about to lose consciousness and jabbed at her with the knife like he was toying with her jab 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 Mm. she wriggled around trying to avoid being stabbed but he hit her face again he stabbed at her abdomen and when she moved to protect her organs he stabbed her in the back of the neck now she could hear taste and smell her own blood pouring out of her he walked to her kitchen table she could still see him from where she was For the first time, he spoke to her. He said he wanted her car keys and he wanted a lighter. She told him where to find these things in her purse. She told him she can't die like this because her daughter still needed her. Is she home? The daughter is not
0: home. Okay, I was going to say, holy shit. He
1: could have taken what he asked for and left again, but he didn't. So he's had all these opportunities to just get out, but he didn't. He just kept coming back. It was somebody has been very problematic during this recording session. He walked back to her and stepped over her, telling her, You're dead, bitch. He plunged the knife into her chest one more time and then walked out the front door. Her biggest fear at this point was that her daughter would come home in the middle of this or afterwards and find her dead. Somehow, now remember, she's got a cut cheek, three slashes on her left neck, stab in the back of her neck, two stabs in her chest, terrible cut on her hand, and some little jabs from where he was toying with her. Somehow, Donna got upstairs to where her cell phone was and looked out the window. The guy was still outside, sitting in her car. He's still sitting out there. How long did it take her to get upstairs with all these wounds? And that asshole's still sitting outside in her car. I guess he's waiting to see if she calls the police or something. I don't know.
0: Which seems like a dumb move if you're sitting in her car. Yeah. And they show up and you're there,
1: you would think. So she called 911 and when I was reading this, I was thinking of the episode you did with the girl who was calling 911 over and over and over and they never sent.
0: Yeah, never sent anyone. To come home. So
1: she was being really careful to speak as slowly and clearly and as carefully as she could Mm -hmm. because she wanted to make sure that they understood her. She wanted to make sure that they would get there and save her before she died from multiple stab wounds and slashes. Eventually, she ended up with a collapsed lung on top of that, so I'm sure it was hard for her to catch her breath with all the wounds that she's got to her chest. Help came, got her to the hospital.
0: Good, okay.
1: She had to be placed in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator because she was in respiratory failure because of her collapsed lung. She had suffered massive blood loss. Surgeons performed seven hours of surgery to do an immediate sternotomy and left neck exploration to find all the damages and attempt to repair it. The three slashes to her left neck were sutured into one long trail and then combined into the sternotomy sutures. And now she's got a long scar from nearly her left ear all the way to the bottom of her sternum. What is that, like 14 inches or so? Yeah, easily. She had 37 stitches to sew her face and neck skin back together. 37 staples in her chest, 7 stitches in her hand, and her sternum is held together with wire. The back of her neck left her with nerve damage that causes a constant feeling of pins and needles in her left arm and numbness in all the fingers of her left hand. Doctors estimated that by the time Donna reached her cell phone upstairs, she had already lost 50% of her blood.
0: Oh my god. By the
1: time she stopped losing blood at the hospital, she had lost 75% of her blood. She said there is no reason that she should have survived this. I
0: can't believe that's even possible. That's incredible.
1: I don't know what the explanation is, but she did. She still suffers PTSD, sometimes still feels terrorized by flashbacks of the memory of what she experienced. She experiences debilitating anxiety and panic attacks very frequently. She has created an internal wall to keep people away emotionally and feels that she has now a diminished sense of excitement for life, of course. You know, how can you be excited about life when you're terrified all the time? She's always exhausted. She can't get a night of unbroken sleep. She felt so unsafe that she could never bring herself to return in the house that she had loved. She couldn't stand to be alone. She couldn't stand the dark. She couldn't go back to work for three months, and only then, sporadically, when she was up to it, her finances spiraled out of control. Doctor appointments, physical therapy, psychological counseling, MRIs, drugs for many different needs to wake up to keep her anxiety under control, to Mm -hmm. go to sleep, probably therapeutic drugs for maybe clotting and things like that. sure. Living expenses, moving expenses, a rental car to replace the car she was still paying for while her own car was being processed for evidence. Donna's daughter Kirsten has had to deal with her own nightmares of returning home to find police and forensics personnel processed in their house with pools of her mother's blood and signs of the fight that Donna had put up, Mm -hmm. trying to save herself. Donna was already at the hospital at the time that Kirsten came back home. And she had no idea whether her mother was going to live or die.
0: I can't imagine coming home and seeing that scene. That just sounds so brutal. And
1: yeah, it had you've got to gotta
0: think the worst.
1: It had to have just been horrifying. <sighs> and this also just hit her out of nowhere too without warning. Because Donna wasn't obviously expecting an attack. Kirsten wasn't expecting to come home and find her house as a crime scene. The perpetrator wasn't caught until October. For four months, Donna felt a constant terror of not even knowing who he was or if he was going to come back and kill her. And then, even once he was arrested, she had to live with knowing that he had been let out on bail, which she found out via phone call in the middle of the night. So I'm sure there was no sleep for her that night.
0: I'm sorry. Violent offenders, even if they haven't been convicted yet, for a violent crime, bail should not be a thing. I
1: agree with you, and I was thinking the same thing when you were telling your story, because if he had still been in jail, yeah, instead of being let out on Bond, he would not have been able to kill her.
0: I mean, you don't get to attempt to kill somebody and then okay, you... get a chance to try again before the trial starts. That's bullshit. Yeah,
1: so I agree with you. I mean, they would have to have some sort of physical evidence tying them to the crime scene in order for that to be even... Logical. Yeah. But it's just awful. It had to be so awful for her knowing what he did to her that she almost died. I mean, she literally should have died.
0: I don't, can't believe she did. And they yeah. just
1: let him out. Oh, you posted bail? Okay. Well, you go on now. You mm-hmm. go have a nice night. So he was out on bail for 16 months. Freeze a bird oh
0: my God. until
1: he was sentenced. Her attacker was a 16 year old boy who had had a fight with his dad that day and decided to go take his anger out on somebody to make himself feel more powerful and as hard as I tried I could not find the name of the perpetrator probably because of his age. I looked everywhere I searched under every search term I could come up with mm-hmm. like, but I don't think he was sentenced as a juvenile so I didn't think that they withheld the name if they were sentenced as an adult but I still couldn't find it. He was sentenced to 15 years years. So it sounds to me like he was sentenced as an adult. If he was sentenced as a juvenile, he would have been out at 21. I believe that if you're sentenced as a juvenile, that you're there until you're 21. I might yeah. be wrong. And it may vary by state. Anyway, that's bonkers. nevertheless, he was sentenced to 15 years, whether it was as an adult or a juvenile. After the attack turned out that the father was hiding his son's whereabouts so that nobody would be able to figure out, you know, based on her description of him and all that. So nobody would go, oh, that sounds like that kid down the street. So the father was hiding the son's whereabouts, which later resulted in Donna winning a civil suit against the father. Good. Yeah. She had many, many loved ones who were there for her to help with the physical needs, but they were not equipped to know how to help her psychologically and emotionally. Of course. I mean, people, even when someone's loved one dies, most people don't know what to say.
0: They feel awkward. They don't want to, they know it's not their place. They want to help, but they just don't.
1: They don't have any idea what what she needs. Yeah. And because she knew firsthand how people wanted but struggled to help her, she was motivated by this experience to try to help by providing resources for survivors of violent crimes. Mm-hmm. The organization that created, aptly named Survivors of Violent Crimes. Yeah is a peer support group whose mission is to not only provide support and resources, but to also raise awareness of the reality of PTSD for survivors of violent crimes. This organization can be accessed at www.survivorsofviolentcrimes.org. This includes resources for training related to victim assistance, For care providers and allied professionals who don't always have the background for dealing with the needs of victims under these circumstances, Mm -hmm. especially like in small towns, where you may have a smaller pool of professionals who deal with these cases and they may not always have the type of experience that would be the most helpful.
0: Yeah, in smaller towns you probably don't have that many cases of people being viciously attacked like that, so of course you wouldn't yeah. I think there'd be somebody trained specifically for exactly. that. Exactly.
1: Right? So Donna went through an absolute nightmare. She survived because she had good care from first responders and her medical professionals, but that alone would not have been enough. Mm-mm. She survived because she was determined to survive and to continue being there for her daughter. Of course, I choke up at the word daughter. <laughs> And through her will, she has created something to help others that go through similar experiences. And again, her website is www.survivorsofviolentcrimes.org. And that is the story of Donna Onsiaco and she is a warrior and a badass. Yeah, I haven't heard that story either. I mean, you told me
0: the name, but I didn't know it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, because Bailey was also trying to help me find the name of the perpetrator, and but also I didn't know that any of the details it.
0: of the attack. I, didn't, I just knew that she was a survivor of some sort. But yeah, wow, that's the fact that she lost literally three fourths of her blood is insane. It is
1: insane that, uh, that you can stay conscious. People who drown in cold water and then two hours later they're resuscitated. Mm -hmm. There are things that the human body, it seems sometimes that the human body is so fragile Mm -hmm. and then other times it seems like it is absolutely determined to live at all costs. Yeah. And I mean she didn't come out of it with brain injuries or anything from lack of oxygen to her brain from losing all that blood or anything like that. So she is kind of a, a walking miracle and I don't really believe in miracles but I do believe that there can be miracles that don't have to have a divine reason yes you know sometimes it's just
0: (laughs) like like, I like to say the universe wants you to live
1: (laughs) I love her I think she's been through so much and she's still suffering of course she's still suffering but through her suffering she's trying to help other people who are also suffering and And if that's not a a healing thing then I don't know what is
0: it's a beautiful story I'm glad you told that story I do feel a lot better after hearing yours (laughs) I have
1: to say yeah well yours was hard to come out of with any good things yeah
0: but I bet that cat is not allowed out at night anymore. <laughs> I wonder if he ever
1: got brought back in that night.
0: I don't know. That cat probably walked in and was like, This place is a hell. This is a mess. I'm not
1: coming back here anymore. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, I hope her cat didn't run away after that. That would be awful. Adding insult to injury. Yeah. Well, let's try to end this on something amusing. I ran across these from Bustle.com. Steamy historical love letters that put your sexts to shame. (laughs) <laughs> but so speak for yourself, lady. I'm not gonna use the names that they used on these because I feel that's intrusive. I don't think I would want anyone not that I write steamy If I'm dead, go ahead and read
0: my embarrassing steamy diary stuff. <laughs> I don't
1: care. Alright, and I'm sitting across from my daughter while I'm reading these. I mean we do this for fun sometimes. <laughs> we just
0: read the awful stories. So
1: Alright, this is from a man to a woman.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I can't wait. <laughs>
1: Everything you do gets me hotter than hell. Throwing clay against the ceiling. You bitch, you red hot shrew. You lovely, lovely woman. I love you. Your (laughs) hairs I felt with my fingers. The inside, (laughs) wet, hot, I felt with my fingers. You, up against the refrigerator. You have such a wonderful refrigerator. (laughs) Your hair dangling down, wild. You there, the wild bird of you, the wild thing of you. Hot, lewd, miraculous. We were in Burbank, and I was in love—ultramarine love. My good goddamn goddess, my goad, my bitch, my 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 beating, breathing hairline of paradise. <laughs> I love you and your refrigerator. And as we grabbed and wrestled, that sculpted head watching up with his little lyrical, cynical love smile, burning. I want you. I want you. I want you. 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 Beautiful. Is that the end? That's the end.
0: What a way to end a letter. <laughs> You, 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 you! I forgot about the clay spattering (laughs) on the ceiling. God, that image. That may
1: be too much for some of you. Apologies, if so. (laughs) What was the refrigerator line one more time? (laughs) There were several refrigerator lines. Well, it
0: started where he pushed her against the refrigerator.
1: The inside of you, wet, hot. Not there! (laughs) I fell with my fingers, you, up against the refrigerator. (laughs) You have such a wonderful refrigerator.
0: <laughs> I wonder if he'd just been meeting to compliment the refrigerator. It was like a new purchase. And he's Oh, by the way, I love that fridge.
1: <laughs> nice color. Fits well in the space. Yeah. Keeps everything really
0: cold. It's great Including right. your back as I push you against it, evidently. Ugh. Okay,
1: I'm done with that letter now. That's
0: hilarious. I okay, feel, I'll bring you feel, one next
1: week. I feel a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. But it was funny though. It was funny. And we both needed a laugh after this. That's all I got. Episode 21 is coming to an end with our refrigerator.
0: I'm sure all of you have lovely refrigerators as well. <laughs> I hope
1: so. I hope your refrigerators are as lovely as her refrigerator. Are they
0: running? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you kids today. <laughs> you and you crazy appliance finishes. <laughs>
0: Oh God! <sighs> I think that's enough. They don't need any more from us today. <laughs> I'm
1: sure they didn't want this much. <laughs> what a roller coaster this was! Absolutely. Well, guys, <laughs> we're worn a, out. Yeah, we're tired. <laughs> Please look for us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at True Crime B and B, or you can send us an email at True Pod at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Bye. See you next week. Bye. here we are episode 20 oh that's a lie episode 21 plus
0: one welcome back episode 21 we're happy to see you guys this we're happy to talk to you guys this week <laughs> i
1: don't know and this is episode 21 <laughs> <laughs> all right all right right. <clears throat> I'm okay. screaming goodness
0: come here really sad. Get, I can't pick you up. Okay, you only oh. pick her up real fast and just... I can't get her. We have her by the scruff. <laughs> I can't. If she's
1: too big, it'll rip her skin off. You. you can really hurt a kitty by picking a big cat up by your scruff.
0: I'm not big. I'm skinny. Screw you.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now I'm... Cr- Do you
0: want to hold puss now? No, I don't. Sorry,
1: I got cat hair in my mouth. Okay. They, they laughed. Th- they cried. They mostly cried. And so did we. So... <laughs> yes. Meow.
0: Mão!